our uh, reading this morning is from the book of First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter four, and reading from verse thirteen. First Thessalonians four thirteen. It's page one thousand one hundred and eighty-eight in the pew Bibles. One one eight eight. First Thessalonians four thirteen. First Thessalonians 4.13 Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. 
therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Amen. So last week we thought about encouraging each other to live lives pleasing to God. That is the great goal worth giving ourselves to, spending ourselves on, not for the passing pleasures of the world, but for something, for someone of eternal weight and worth to make our lives matter and to live those kinds of lives we need to be people who are growing in holiness and in purity people who are set apart from the world to serve him people who are sexually pure in a society that is filled with perversion and confusion. But we also need to be people who live honorable lives. So we are not to be a provocative people, always looking to argue and fight and get into conflict. We are to be happy, to be calm, and to be quiet, and to be at peace. We discussed the fact that for some Christians, this is where we stumble. We are We're always looking for the next fight. Our faces are always crumpled up in frustration and anger. We're never happy unless we're unhappy. And we were reminded of the honor of good, honest work. Work done for God is always work worthy of honor. And whatever you do, whether you mend people's shoes or build cars or care for the elderly or answer phones, whatever you do, do for him. And the work you do will be pleasing to him and honorable in his sight. Work well as for the Lord. And as far as you are able, work to provide for your own needs and to contribute to your society. That is an honorable life in the eyes of God. If there are people looking to you, people who know that you are a Christian and they look to your lives and they are looking to find something to use against you, but not ultimately against you, against your faith, against the Christian faith, against the Christian God, then work as hard as you can to give them nothing. That was where we were last week. This week we think about death. 
You might say, well, that's good. That covers how we are to live our lives for the Lord. We are to be those who are growing in holiness and in purity. We are to live honorable lives. We are to work hard and work well as for the Lord. But this life only lasts for a time. Maybe we might get 60 or 70 or 90 or 100 years, but it comes to an end. And even if we live a long time, on the grand scale, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's the blink of an eye. So how are Christians to deal with death? It seems that these Thessalonians had expected Jesus to come already. They'd expected Him to come quickly while they were all alive, before any of them had died. And now it seems likely that some of them have died. Maybe they were martyred. Maybe they took unwell. Maybe just through old age. And they were surprised that the coming of Christ was taking so long. They didn't know how to process this, how to deal with it, what to make of it. And so this question must have been carried with Timothy back to the Apostle Paul. What will happen to those of our number who have died? We remember Paul's teaching that those of us who are here will be with Jesus when He returns. We look forward to that day, but what about those of us who are no longer here? Are they lost? Are they gone for good? Have they missed their chance? That was a common philosophy in the Greek culture of the day. That people were born, that they lived, that they died, and that on their death they just ceased to be. It was as simple as that. That was the worldview that many of them would have held on to before they came to faith in Christ. The Bible says there is nothing new under the sun. It's a common belief in our world today, isn't it? Amongst many, you will know some who believe that they have outgrown our primitive beliefs. Those of us who, like children, cling on to, you know, the belief in a God and an afterlife. It's just a fairy tale, they say. We are born, we live, we die, and then the stuff that makes us us goes back into the ground. You might as well just chuck us in the brown bin because that's all we are when it comes to it. Well, that's not what Christians believe. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. The hope that we have in Christ, that would be our first point. The hope that we have in Christ, that's where Paul starts this passage. We do grieve. 
we mourn, we feel sorrow deep down when we lose loved ones. We weep and we should weep. But we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve as those who mourn our loss, but also as those who rejoice in the gain of our loved ones who have died in the Lord, our believing loved ones who have gone to be with the Lord, which is better by far. God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. In Christ, death has been fully and finally defeated. He died and rose again. There is no death in Christ. And where are we spiritually? We are in Christ. We are in that place where death has been defeated once and for all. By grace, we share in the blessings that are rightfully His, including life eternal. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So in one sense, we do die, of course, but in the greater sense, we never die because death has become to us the doorway to life, to being with Christ, to seeing Him face to face. And if and when we lose those we love who are in the Lord, those we love who are Christians, then we grieve our loss, but we give thanks for their gain. I had been to very few funerals when I first came here. Uh, way back in, what, January 2008. And uh, I was actually asked to take a burial before I'd even been at a burial. Uh, it was all cremations I'd been at. So um, in those 11, nearly 12 years, I've been making up for lost time. I've been at a lot of burials. And in my experience... Burials are, are marked by two things. Firstly, by the cold up there in Glen Mavis. It's very exposed and it's invariably freezing cold. And secondly, by sorrow. I can picture a lot of faces huddled around graves with tears in their eyes. Cold and the sorrow, that's what I think about when I think about that place. And yet there is also something deeply and profoundly heartwarming and joyful about gathering in a place that is completely surrounded by death 
and being able to say with the Apostle Paul himself, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the hope that we have. It is a living hope. It is a certain hope. It is a hope that will not disappoint. It's okay to grieve, to weep, to feel the sorrow and the sense of loss, but not as those without a real and living hope that comes from Jesus. I think of Jesus, the story of Lazarus. You'll remember Lazarus takes unwell. His sisters Mary and Martha uh, call for Jesus to come and to help, to come and to heal. Jesus is good friends with Lazarus. He says to his disciples, the sickness will not end in death, and that's important. So Jesus knows right from the start of the story that, that Lazarus will live. He knows right from the start of the story that this has a happy ending. And then he does a strange thing. He waits for two more days. His friend Lazarus is really badly ill, suffering for two more days. And by the time Jesus arrives, Lazarus is dead. And Mary and Martha, uh, you get the sense they're, they're not happy. Uh, Mary goes to meet with Jesus. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, uh, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. So he knows that just in a tiny wee while, Lazarus will live. Everyone will be filled with joy. And yet as he sees the sorrow and the grief and the tears of those who love Lazarus as they mourn. He is deeply moved, deeply troubled, and he weeps with those who weep. And we can be assured that as we grieve, as we mourn, the Lord Jesus Christ weeps with us. He doesn't point the finger and say, you're a Christian, what are you doing? crying and mourning and being sad and sorrowful. Well, he is filled with compassion and he draws near to comfort those who mourn. But we must remember 
that just in the blink of an eye, our stories will have a happy end. We can mourn, we can grieve, but not as those without hope. There will be a great reunion between those who have died and those who live on that day that Christ returns. Christ will come with those who have died in Him. And chapter 4, verse 17 tells us that we who are left will meet Him in the air. The picture there is that of a great king coming. So in, in the ancient world, when a, a great king was to come to your town, you wouldn't wait for him to get to the gates or to get to the city walls when you knew that he was near as a mark of respect, you would go out to meet him and to journey with him on the last leg of his journey. That's the picture. We will, we will go to meet him in the air, filled with excitement and enthusiasm and joy. And we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And we will live forever in a place where every day is better than the last, with bodies that are perfectly designed for this new world that Jesus will make, a world without sin, without all of the stuff that sin brought, without separation, without sickness, without suffering and sorrow. And that glorious reality, that great hope ought to make a real concrete difference in the way that we live our lives today. So Paul transitions from the hope that we have to the lives that we live. We know that Christ will come, Paul tells us, we don't know when, and Jesus uh, explicitly taught the same thing. Yet still from time to time we have wee groups that say the Lord will come on this particular date. Occasionally we've got a wee group that will say the Lord will come at this particular date and at this particular time. I know that because I remember one year being in school and there was one of those groups and uh, they had predicted that the Lord would come when I was in my geography class. And I won't lie, Part of me really wanted them to be right uh, halfway through that class, but uh, obviously that didn't happen because it's against the explicit, clear teaching of Scripture. We don't know when Christ will come. And Paul picks up the imagery of Jesus at the start of chapter 5, the imagery of the thief in the night, so if a thief is wanting to rob your house, he's unlikely to put a wee card through the door saying he'll be there uh, Tuesday at midnight because he knows you'll be ready for him if he, if he warns you beforehand. But if you don't know when he's coming, then you just have to live ready. You also, says Jesus, must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. 
Are you ready for His coming? Are you ready for His return? Are you living lives which make sense, given that you know that the Lord will return? Look at verse 11. Encourage each other with these words. Do these words encourage you? Or do they concern you? Most people in our society don't believe any of this to be true. And so they live without hope, trying not to think about death. You know, I said I've been trying to catch up for, for lost time on the funeral front. Well, let me tell you, people can arrange funerals and try to to structure them so that they don't have to think about death. There's not many things that are more sad than being with a family who are grieving, but trying not to think about the fact they are grieving, trying to pretend that death isn't real because they have no hope for a life beyond death. So most people don't have this hope. Most people don't live believing that a judge will come to judge justly. And so they begin to believe that things are only really wrong if they get caught or only really wrong if they hurt another person. They come to believe that everyone is allowed to be offended except God. Well, none of these things are true. Christ will come, and we ought to be the people who are ready for His return. We ought to be those who are living in a way that would not see us ashamed were He to arrive this evening. I think it would be fair to say that Deborah does most of the housework in our house, nearly all of the housework in our house. When Deborah's not in the house to do the tidying up uh, for any length of time, I sometimes make a bit of a mess. And sometimes I'll be there in the living room and I'll see mugs of tea and coffee and stuff scattered about. And what I should think when I see that is, I better tidy that up. But what I actually think is, I really hope someone doesn't come to the door. And that's, that's no way to live your life, thinking, I really hope someone doesn't come to the door with that kind of fear lurking in the background somewhere. We should live the kind of lives that are ready for the return of our Lord, not live the kind of lives that say, I really hope He doesn't come soon. And there's a danger here, you know, Dangerous for the Christian as well as for the non-believer. That we believe it, we believe all of it, but we don't allow it to sink down deep. and We don't allow it to feel real. And so we don't allow it to make a difference in the lives that we live. The lives that we live become deeply compromised. Church becomes to us not much more uh, than whether we like the songs and we like the speaker on any given Sunday. And our hope, that living hope that we've been speaking about, is deadened somewhat. 
So may the Lord, if that's where we find ourselves today, may the Lord wake us up. That's the kind of imagery Paul uses here, isn't it? We're either asleep or we're awake. We're kind of deadened and dozy or we're alert and alive. May He wake us up if we have fallen asleep, that we might get ourselves ready for this great and glorious day, which will come, which will come. We are those who belong to the day, so let's live like we belong to the day, in purity, in love, and in hope. And let's encourage each other and build each other up as we await for his return. Amen. We stand together as we sing.